Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by one of my podcasting colleagues, Jess Lively of The Lively Show in Chicago, which is soon to be from Austin. But thanks for being here, Jess. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I so rarely get a chance to have a fellow podcaster on the air, so... I'm excited to have you in the booth. Um, over the past 10 episodes of After the Jump, I've been focusing and then refocusing on the importance of building a support system and network of friends and colleagues that you both admire and respect for their work and life ethics. And if I had a short list of my own personal network, Jess would be on that one. Jess runs a website, a blog, an online course, and offers ebooks all devoted to the idea of living with intention. And that is the theme of today's show. Over the past year, this show has grown and changed from straightforward designer interviews to larger in-depth looks at issues facing the creative community as a whole. And no matter what the day's focus might be, whether it's overcoming jealousy and work hurdles to finding funding for your business, the underlying theme is always about finding a way to stay present with your work and your life and to stay in touch with the intention underneath all of it. I so admire how Jess has devoted her life and work to that topic and is sharing weekly and daily updates that inspire others to do exactly the same. So Jess, let's dive right in because I have so much I want to talk to you about and I would love to get your take on sort of what the idea of intention means to you before we get to the nitty gritty things. So my first question has to do with your unenjoyable business school experience. (laughs) Um, You attended the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan back in 2003, but I read online that you felt dissatisfied with the program focus, which seemed to be geared more towards finding a corporate job. What did you think was missing in that focus, and how did it inspire you to sort of start your own business? It was an interesting experience. I, (laughs) you know, I had started my business when I was 15, so I had done it for about I don't even know that I was like four or five years by the time I was going to school. And since I had a business, I thought I'd go to school to learn more about it. So I went to a business school, but I didn't look too deeply into it. I was from Michigan. My dad was kind of funny. He was like, I'm not going to pay for out-of-state tuition when we have such a great program here. So I didn't really do much research, which ended up kind of like coming around in the end (laughs) to be a regret. So anyways, I ended up getting in, but I didn't have any entrepreneurship classes or there was one class about like business proposals, but I didn't need a business plan. I just needed to learn more about how to grow an entrepreneurship small business. And that wasn't the focus. So it's not really anything so much against the school in that it trains people to do what they want them to do very well. It just wasn't a good fit for someone who's entrepreneurial at the time that I went. It could have changed since then, though. (laughs) And what sort of motivation did you get from that not working out? Did you feel like you graduated knowing like, I know exactly what's missing in the market? And did you feel like you were the person who was going to fill that niche? 
No, at the time, I just thought I didn't really learn how to grow my jewelry business. <laughs> so, but I was, it was interesting. I think the program actually was very quantitative and it really groomed people to be business analysts and iBankers here in New York. <laughs> and that they were very good at. And so I was very bad at all of those things. And I kind of basically felt because of the curve, the grade system and everything that I wasn't good at business until the last class, there was a capstone class called strategy. And that was finally the only class I ever got to take, which was about being a CEO. And I aced I got an A plus in that class after getting, you know, B minus by B minus after all these other classes. You're really slumming it there at that B minus. Well, you know, it's a B school. You can't get much lower. It's pretty much an F there. Unless you don't show up, you can't really. That's like a secret. I guess I shouldn't be saying that for all (laughs) students listening. But anyways, um, yeah, no, B minus is actually a really low grade there. Pretty much everyone gets an 80 percent of people get B's. That's how they grade the curve. It's a B school. And. Anyways, I I loved that class because it really actually taught me. I'm actually a good CEO. I'm not a quantitative analyst for, you know, an iBanking company. Yeah. I think so many, I think it's interesting in particular with women running businesses that there seems to be sort of a disconnect between business educations or even just classes and things online that focus so heavily on numbers versus sort of like the emotional component behind opening a business. And I love that that sort of seems to be something that you're really harnessing in and people are responding to in a very big way online. Um, And I love that you kind of have geared everything towards the idea of intention. So I want to talk about that because that's something that I think casually comes up in all the interviews that I do, but no one's ever really kind of solidified it in a way that I think is easy to follow. So I hear a lot of people talking about it, but what does intention mean to you? And particularly, how do you think intentions and intention setting separate is different from goal setting? Okay, so the word intentions kind of stuck around with me since college. And actually, that whole business school experience really helped me look at what do I really want? Because I was being groomed to be a corporate person, and I didn't want that. So not that there was anything bad with it. But I basically use the word intention as a software word. I was a perfectionist at that point. So I would use the word intention initially as a softer word for a goal mm-hmm. because I would be too paralyzed by the word goal. I wouldn't even attempt the marathons I'd trained for because I had the goal to run it in four hours and 20 minutes. And God forbid if I didn't do that. So I wouldn't race. I would, I would thought I would quit. So when I created the word intention in my mind, it was like, oh, it's my intention to run the marathon. And then it felt softer. It felt like I could have more room for error. So a lot of people might use that word as an alternative for goal, or they can use it for deliberate, deliberate action. But what I've now, over seven years after studying this topic, I've come to believe now that for me, intention is about values-based intentions. And not everyone that says the word intention by any means is meaning that. But for me, I find that values-based intentions are what really creates a meaningful, joyful, and fulfilling life. And talk a little bit more about what you mean by values-based for people who aren't familiar with your course yet. Yes, absolutely. So there's basically three levels of success. There's the first level, which is having things or outcomes. So the big job, the relationship, the shoes, whatever it is, the stuff in our lives. And not all of them, you know, a relationship is definitely a meaningful thing, but it's still an outcome based on other principles. So then the second level of success is doing and then the third level is being. So I like to use this analogy of like the little I felt, and I also went through these three levels in my own life. I felt like a little cheese collector as a little <laughs> mouse in a maze collecting cheese for many years of my life. And then eventually I got all the cheese that I had wanted on my vision boards, if you will. 
and they didn't make me happy. So then I was like, all right, the cheese isn't worth it. So that was like the, the having level didn't work for me. So then I was like, all right, how about that whole doing thing? Let me do that. So then in 2013, I spent six months focusing on how many people I helped rather than how much money I made as a business owner to order in order to see whether I was growing and successful. I stopped measuring the money metric and started focusing on the doing metric, which is where goals live in the doing metric or the doing level of success. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. And uh, six months initially, it was actually awesome. I felt a lot better than focusing on the money. Mm -hmm. And I figured that the cheese and the maze would be, you know, there if I was the mouse running as far as I could in the maze. So it was like my goal as a, or my purpose in life as a mouse in the maze is just to, to run as many maze miles as I possibly can. (laughs) So then (laughs) six months later, I'm actually, I help more people than ever before and I'm miserable and I couldn't even actually continue working. I had to take a break from what I was doing because I put my worthiness outside of myself. So then I felt like a little mouse sitting with my chin, you know, my hand, my chin in my hand. And I kind of gave up running and I gave up cheese collecting. And I was like, I don't know, what is that whole bee thing like? And so that was kind of an, a journey of the last year. And that's where values came to play. So what does the B level look like for you right now? So that, yeah, basically... The B level of success, right? This isn't just like being present, like Eckhart Tolle would just say, just like have no thoughts or just be witnessing your thoughts and never actually, you know, fight them. Or it's just like a little too abstract for people. So I believe that being level of success means that you're embodying your deepest values in a particular area of your life. So when you're embodying those values, along the course of the actions you take and the outcomes you may get as a result, when you're valuing that, everything works effortlessly. It's the difference between climbing a mountain on roller skates, <laughs> right? You're just going to keep going down the mountain. You're not actually getting to the top versus coming from the top and rollerblading down the mountain, which is very easy. That, yeah, I'd rather rollerblade down a mountain. I mean, I'd rather not rollerblade down a mountain. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like, a mountain. A I slope. just slide really slowly <laughs> yeah. down it on a towel. <laughs> um, I, I love this level of... Three different ideas of what business success is. I think it's a lot of information for people to take in. So I want to unpack it a little bit and give people examples of what this means, not just in the big picture, but in the small picture as well. Um, In terms of living in this place of like being with success versus trying to measure it in these like very defined metrics. Can you give us an example of how that sort of intentions and value based business living what does that look like on a day-to-day level? And then what does that look like in the big picture? Let's start with day-to-day. So you have, first of all, you have to know what your values are. That's really important. And you are always motivated by something, whether it's a carrot on a stick, like an outcome and an achievement that you really want, like making that you know mark of how much money you want to make, mm-hmm. six figures, whatever it might be, or how many people you're helping, like I was doing for so long. Now, when you, a real value, and I call them uppercase V values, those are enduring, they're constantly they're never going to a goal is something that's measurable and then it's achieved and then it's over so you have to make a new one so really all you're doing on the doing level or the outcome level and the having you're just going around the mountain circles you're not actually climbing to the top you're not actually getting to the peak of the mountain because that's different it doesn't you can't climb the mountain it doesn't work that way you have to go down it so the values basically um are present moment enduring so they don't end you know, once you've had a certain achievement or an outcome, they're flexible. They're not metric focused. So basically, it's an interesting thing. It's what's really, really important to you that's not a goal and it's not an outcome mm-hmm. specifically. So for me, my values are to help people live with intention from their values, basically, understanding principles with a loose hold on expectation. Because that lowest level of the outcome level of our success is actually outside of our control. We like to think that we have control, but we don't. So if we learn to 
kind of basically lighten our grip on that and our, lighten our expectations. It doesn't mean we don't want great things. We just don't want them to rule us and drive us. It's just like a carrot that we have to constantly chase and we're miserable if we don't get it. Yes, we'll be happy and sad temporarily from any outcomes, but our fulfillment and joy doesn't live there. It mm-hmm. lives at the top. So when you live from those values, like my, like I mentioned, with the intentions, principles, and loose hold on expectations, that's what I want to help people do. So then on a daily basis, I write a blog that helps people with that content. I have a podcast where one of the things that I talk about in my course is really important to me is about resistance. So I always ask those clients or not clients, the guests on the show, what doubts and resistance they face so that even the listeners, even though they're not taking the course can still get a sense of what that guest is, you know, battling in their ego at that point in time or what they've gone through in the past so they can relate to them. And on a bigger picture, you know, the courses I create or any books that I write or anything all support that aim in a bigger, more long-term sense. For people who are listening to your podcast and trying to work through this place of, they, I think, I feel like most business owners, although it's wonderful to have the financial success and it's a huge part of, of any business, it is nice to get to that place where you just feel good about it and you feel like you've identified the things that make you happiest and you're working towards those. But I find that because those aren't metrics that can be measured so easily as like financial success or a number of clients or a number of items shipped, it's hard to stay in touch with those on a daily basis. How do you advise people who are trying to live this way? What are the ways they can check in with themselves on a daily basis to see if they're in touch with those values that are at the top level? So a great thing would be to check in with your intuition. I'm a really firm believer, the more work I do with this and the more I've you know, been self-employed my whole career, I find that the intuition that we have within us, our gut or our heart, whatever place in you that you feel connected to, something deeper and wiser than the fire hydrant ego spewing at you all day, if you can connect to that, that'll help guide you. It'll tell you what you need to do next. But at the same time, once you know your values, then you go down the mountain, right? So you're not just ignoring the outcomes. We want to have good outcomes, but we also want to understand and have a healthy relationship with them. We want to understand that we want to take action to express the values we have. So Gandhi, by the way, my analogy with whole the whole like doing thing, that level, when I was tracking how many people I helped, I knew Gandhi wasn't looking at his Google Analytics. <laughs> he was not coming to a just hunger strike for that reason. He came from something higher, and I knew that was the B level. I just didn't understand how to actually be there myself. So once you have your values, you then take action like he did. He took action, but that it wasn't the... Um, his values were preceding the action. And if we can do the same, so we go, what are our values and how can I express them today, this month, or this year? Then you know what you want to do based on embodying the values and what actions you want to take. And then ultimately you then project what you think the outcomes will be. You're no longer forcing outcomes. You go based on this, what principles do I think are at play? If I take this action, what do I think will naturally happen as a result? And you can always, it's really fun because once you recognize this and you can live from your values, then you get to be very flexible and experimenting in a business sense with the doing level. If something doesn't work, let's say you want to get 500 Facebook followers. So you might think that there are certain principles at play that, you know, get to that many likes. Maybe you have to post a certain mix of content, you have to do advertising, etc. If you, you know, make this goal that you're going to get these people by this date, which is a way that normal people make goals, then you blame yourself if you don't get there. But it's never really your fault. It's just whether or not you knew the principles that and you followed the principles, more importantly, that lead to the outcome. And so when you don't, you know, put the pressure on yourself to be the person in control, like the puppeteer, you're never really the puppeteer. It's like gravity 
if you're in the roller skates and or the rollerblade analogy, you're going to keep sliding down the hill if you try to go up it. Not because you don't want it bad enough. It's just because gravity works, you know, going downhill and it's going to force you there naturally and it's not really your fault. So I think it's a really nice, um, more peaceful way to approach actions. And ultimately your outcomes when they come from this way don't feel forced, they feel powerful. And you're never like so attached to any specific outcome. You can let them come and go without being of them. It's like in it, but not of it. How much responsibility or how much ownership do you advise that business owners or people sort of trying to get into this concept? How much ownership do you want them to take? Because I I like the idea of kind of accepting like this concept of the gravity analogy and that there's always going to be these factors that you can't control and then accepting those and building those into the sort of leeway and slack you cut yourself is an important thing to do. It's not slack you cut yourself, actually. I would say that it's not you because that's that's the thing. It makes us think that we're in control. There's this like Hmm. this guys, this like fake that's the ego in us that thinks that we can control things. We have personal responsibility for our actions. But if we don't understand the principles at play and we're taking actions, here's a great example. The Romans and Greeks tried to fly. When they originally tried to fly, they thought they needed to look like birds because birds flew. So they strapped feathers to their arms and they jumped off buildings. Obviously, this didn't work. <laughs> like It was obviously a big failure. But those people could say, oh my God, I just didn't want it hard enough. I just didn't want it bad enough. And we can say the same thing and like cut ourselves some slack. It's not our fault that gravity's there and if we strap feathers to our arms that it's not going to work. So we need to really like kind of do it like a check-in. Yes, we're responsible for our actions and experimenting to find outcomes, but it's not actually our control it's the principles Mm -hmm. all right we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty of this because i think we're we're living up here right now i want to break this down into very actionable items we're gonna take a quick break and then i'm gonna ask your tips on how we get in touch with this idea of intention and intuition on a very real day-to-day basis so stay tuned and i'll be right back with jess lively inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're talking about running your business and life with intention with blogger, author, podcaster, and teacher, Jess Lively. Before the break, we were talking about living with intention and what it means to you and how it can differ from goal setting. But I want to get into some of the details. Um, Just one of my favorite podcasts you did was with Kelly Krause, who talked about the concept of intuitive eating and exercise, which for me, like the eating and exercise part, not so much my focus. But for me, what really was sort of underlying all of that was this idea of how you get in touch with that inner voice and how you figure out what you really want and need to set those sort of bigger value intentions in your life. What are some sort of practical day-to-day tips people can use to get in touch with that? Because I find people have built elaborate systems to like stay away from the things they actually want in life or to just avoid them because they're big 
ta- like big giant things to tackle. What do you think people should do day to day to stay in touch with those intentions? It's a great question. And it's really the foundation because if you are looking for the achievements and the outcomes that we mentioned in the first two levels, that's your ego saying that this carrot that I eat, when I eat this carrot, I'm going to feel happy, but it doesn't last very long. It's just like, then you have to get the next carrot. So it's never really fulfilling. So you need to then, that's like the ego running the show. So what we really want to do is listen and live from our values, which is really an intuitive place. In order to get to there, there's two, first of all, you have to understand which part of you is your intuition and which part of you is your ego. So I personally had this experience during a breakup where I was with the person for a long time and I was staying with him while we knew we were breaking up when their lease ended. And it was this weird conversation I'd have with the same girlfriends, the same conversation. I can't believe this is happening. And at the same time, like this is like, no one does this. This is crazy. And at the same time, I know this is the right thing to do. And I was like, how am I like, I'm like two sided about this. Like what's going on? And I had the same conversation so many times I started to notice within me, these two different voices. And here's how I describe it. The ego feels like it's one inch inside of my ear and it's literally in my brain. And it feels like a fire hydrant spewing at me constantly or very frequently. (laughs) And it's just constantly telling me what I want, think and feel and why I'm separate or special or not as good as someone else. It's this kind of thing that makes me feel disconnected from other people or like feeling superior, anything that makes you feel disconnected from a peaceful place. Meanwhile, the other part of me that was more peaceful about that breakup was really in my gut. It was literally in my stomach. I feel it there. Other people feel it in their chest, but it's usually not in your brain and or in your, your intuition. Head. That's your intuition. That's, okay. And I call it like a well. So just like the ego has water spewing at you, the thoughts in your intuition are there. They're just in a well. And you actually have to go ask the well. You have to go like drop the bucket in and ask. So often we're just running from the fire hydrant all the time because we think that we are the fire hydrant and every thought we have is what we really believe. Instead of watching the thoughts pass by and going, is this thought actually helping me? Is this actually true? Or is you know this what my intuition is actually leading me to do? So the first thing you have to do is actually quiet the fire hydrant. So the easiest way to do that, I call it like getting your B juice, right? Your BE level stuff. You want to kind of like find ways to enhance it. And a lot of that is actually about quieting the spewing, spraying fire hose in your head. So being still and meditating. I used to like never meditate. Cause the idea of like sitting there with trying not to have thoughts felt stressful. And I was like, ain't nobody got time for that. So I just like stopped doing that. Instead, it was just like, how, let me just watch my thoughts for five minutes. I'm not trying to have no thoughts or just like try to like avoid them. I'm just going to watch them. And when I, when I have the thought, I'm going to label it thinking. I'm literally just going to label it as this is thinking. This is the ego going on about stuff. Okay. So then you can start creating diffusion and creating space between you and your thought. I know this is kind of crazy and a lot, but it's really helpful. That's a common business. I think what you're talking about is really taking this concept, accepting it, like not judging it and then putting it away from yourself a little bit. Giving yourself distance. Exactly. And I think that is going to let people sort of look at that feeling and not judge it and that you have to own it as your own, but you don't have to sort of assign all it's of not these different... you. Yeah. It's just like, that's the story I'm having. Mm-hmm. And you can also label the story. So in your business, let me, oh, you know, I'm not as good as so-and-so. Well, that's the story of I'm not good enough. There it is. Let's watch the story. It doesn't mean I'm trying to fight it or I'm trying not to have it, or I'm trying to rationalize whether it's true or not. I'm just going to watch that. I'm not good enough story. There it is. It's happening. Now, once you can create that space, you can go, all right, that's the ego. There's the fire hydrant. Let's go into the well. <laughs> Let's actually listen and, and get some intuition. And the difference in your intuition, your ego will tell you what to think. You have to actually listen for your intuition. The intuition will tell you often things that you don't rationally in your ego 
think or feel like it's just a different source. So one of the other ways to do it, um, other than quieting your mind, so you can have intuition in the well, by the way, the well will overflow. So if you continue to stay in a kind of crappy situation because your ego, which hates uncertainty, your ego will keep you in a crappy situation in your crappy job while you're working on your business because you're scared because you don't know what's going to happen at the, uh, you know, once you leave or any uncertainty, your ego hates it. So even if it sucks, it will keep you in the same situation because it's comfortable with the, the badness because that's more comfortable than doing something unknown. So your intuition though, leading from your values is fine with uncertainty. It leads you, but you have to trust it. Mm-hmm. So when you can calm the mind, you can also write to yourself. And I actually have conversations through writing letters to my intuition. And it's basically a conversation between my ego asking all these, these scared questions like, what's going to happen? Or why am I feeling upset about this? And then I listen for the answer. And then I write it down. And it's kind of this more natural process for me to actually have like a more um, in-depth and clear picture of what's going on than just like one word that I hear if I just like think about the thoughts my intuition might tell me. So mm-hmm. writing can be a really powerful way. I think that's a good, that's a good bit of advice. I think for people to actually stay in touch with those feelings, to acknowledge them and to write them down, gives them the sort of weight they deserve to have. Because I think the thing you keep going back to, which I think is a great point, is that that ego and that voice, that thing that it's incredibly difficult to turn off, like that deserves weight, that deserves to be noticed. But so does the part of you that's a bit more intuitive and maybe doesn't get as much of a punch as the ego does. So I like the idea of writing that down. Um, What do you think about in terms of people checking in with this sense? Like, is this something you think people should do every single day? Or do you think this is something people should be doing once a month, once a year? Like, how often do you think people need to truly check in with their inner voice and what they really want? Great question. I don't know if I have the perfect answer for that right now. I think I'm personally right now in my own journey, really focusing on creating the distance and the and the distance between me and my ego and just mm-hmm. watching the thoughts. And I think that that is giving me the space to live from the intuition more, more freely. But I'm not forcing myself to constantly ask my gut a million questions yeah. every day. I do listen. And when I hear something and I actually get a message, or, you know, it's not like a message from God, but it's a message from my gut. And it usually surprises me. I know to act on it and I don't need to overthink it. I just need to keep going in that direction and create the distance so that I'm not so fused with the crazy thoughts my ego's having. Mm-hmm. I think risk is a big part of this too. Yes. Um, I think the idea of allowing that risk, allowing yourself to be terrified of whatever that risk is, um, as long as that risk has the possibility of opening up the door to going to do something that is sort of all about those values and the things that mean most to you. Um, what role does risk play in your life and what role do you think it should play in business people's life who want to sort of live this more honest in touch version of themselves. I think we should look at risk instead of thinking of it as risk. I would look at it as uncertainty and our intuition. So there's an analogy to another analogy for the ego versus intuition is there's shepherds in the field. The sheep follow the shepherds because they trust that the shepherds will protect them. So they trust. It's, they don't know what's going to happen. There's uncertainty all around them, but they trust the shepherd. That's like our intuition. Meanwhile, when the shepherd needs to go into town, he gets some substitute guy to go watch the sheep. No sheep are no fools. They like don't know the guy. They don't trust him because they don't know if they'll protect him if something's going to happen. So in order for that shepherd substitute guy to get them to move, he puts a carrot on a stick. And then the sheep don't care about the guy, but they go, you know, I don't trust him, but I know that this carrot's going to taste good. So I'm just going to follow the carrot. And that's what our ego does. It's like, look, you know, I don't, you know, I don't trust this ego thing, but I know if I make $100,000 this year, then I'll be happy. Right. So then that's what you're like chasing rather than following your intuition, which has uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen in your life, but you can follow your gut and trust that it will, you know, come 
together. So when you're living from your values at the top, you're not trying to pretend that you're in control of the outcomes, right? I said you live from your values, you take action according to to express the values, how you'd like to today, this week, or this month, or this year. And then you project what you think the outcomes will be. You predict based on what you think will happen. And you're not trying to control it. So you're dealing with the uncertainty of not knowing. And we never really do know. We just think that we do, right? We just think this is the ego thought that we're so like awesome because we do understand so many principles and we naturally just think that we cause them rather than we just follow the principle, mm-hmm. right? It's like, we didn't lose weight. We just moved more and we ate less. <laughs> like that's not, you know, that's a principle that's happening. We took action according to those principles and got the result, but we're not in control of that. That's, you know, our whole body's system. Mm-hmm. Let's sum it all up into one final piece of advice for everybody listening. If someone's looking to start a business and they want to start their business, whatever category it's in, and they want to be able to start it with this intention and they want to keep that at the central place. Because I think most people starting a business don't get to have this upper level of thinking before they launch. They just kind of throw themselves in. They open the restaurant. They start selling jewelry, whatever it is, and they just kind of throw themselves in. But if they have that extra second, what's the thing you want them to think about? And what's the thing you want them to write down before they really get started? Great question. I would guess I would say to discover what's really, really important to you, independent of any achievements and outcomes. So regardless of what's going to happen on this journey, what is really important for you to bring to the world? And like, I know that sounds woo woo and like super out there. The woo woo stuff is good. I've spent yeah. an entire year convincing myself woo woo is not a bad thing. And I still preface things with woo woo, which means I'm still judging it. But I, I think the woo woo stuff is actually, it's a, it's a good doorway into the things that you really care about. Yeah. So it's not to be super flighty about it, but to really find out what's truly important to you. So regardless of the outcomes and achievements, as they come and go over the course, you can stay true to what's most meaningful for you and what truly actually has all the fulfillment and joy you ever could experience in your business. Good, good thought to leave on. I want to ask you some totally fun, non-high level questions now. <laughs> um, fun things to just wrap it up. Uh, first one, what is the very first website that you load every morning? Be honest. Gmail, I guess. <laughs> well, on the, on, yeah, Gmail. Besides podcasts, I listen, I try not to look at Gmail until I've gotten ready for, so I sometimes listen to podcasts beforehand, but that's a good one. What um, song is on heavy rotation in your car or on your computer right now? Oh, God, this is funny. Be honest. <laughs> I'm, on a, I'm not a good music person. So I have been listening to Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy, Pandora Station. Which is <laughs> <laughs> probably the most uncool thing to say. I did not expect that. I, I like know, that no answer. One probably knows good. that. Um, who is someone that you look up to when time is tough? I always love that sort of like WW so-and-so D analogy. Who is the person that you kind of go back to that makes you feel strong enough to go forward? Two people, Joyce Meyer, who's an evangelist preacher, and uh, Stephen Covey, who has passed, but he really changed my life with the seven habits. That's awesome. Um, What is a source of inspiration that you can't get enough of? The place that you go back to over and over again for ideas. My Kindle reader. So it just depends (laughs) on whatever I'm reading. I don't know if there's one source. I'm just glad people are still reading. That's great. Uh, What's your favorite social media feed or trend? My favorite feed, I've been loving Twitter because I use it to help um, my podcast guests connect with the listeners. So I've been loving Mm, that. That's great. Um, Are there any hashtag trends or things that you're following that you think are fun? Well, I actually just started one yesterday. I launched some intention tattoos. Oh, nice. They're temporary intention tattoos so that people can live from their values. So I did a hashtag with intention so that when people have them, they can like Instagram them and share how they're wearing them and why they're wearing them. Awesome. Um, 
very last question. What is a trend, a style, a designer, or a brand that you hope makes it big this year? Something that you really believe in that you hope other people will get into? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I know of a specific trend. I think I'm so like into this whole values thing that I, so I hope people live from their values. I hope that's a trend that people um, adopt. Good. Jess, thanks so much for being here. I know you're traveling all over the place, and I'm glad to be able to sit down with you in person. Um, For all of you listening, I hope this will inspire you to really think about living with intention, but also running your business with intention and really getting yourself in touch with the things that matter most to you, to pull those away from quantitative measuring and getting lost in numbers and to really focus on the things that make you happy. Because at the end of the day, that's going to make your business more successful and you a much happier business owner. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks, Jess, for being here. And where can we find you? online jesslively.com thelivelyshow.com and uh, twitter and instagram is jess lively awesome thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next thursday thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.